How about another round of applause for Rachel? Um, God, Rachel, that was so good. Imagine how good your talk would be if you went to two meetings. And we have avocado, remember. Welcome to the newcomer. There was no newcomers, and then you came in. I was very excited. I was like, what? Why are we here? Yeah, right? Right? Um, congrats to all the chip takers, all the Gregs. It's easy to be sober if you're a Greg, I guess. <laughs> Happy birthday. Um, 36. That's how many times Rachel said fuck. <laughs> uh, a woman after my heart. <laughs> that is something special about that. Uh, happy holidays. Did uh, over the holidays, did anyone else's mom uh, try to show them her pictures from uh, Playboy magazine? <laughs> Just me. Yeah. It was a it was a college edition. She let me know called Student Bodies. <laughs> she did not understand why my wife was like, "No, thank you." She's like. Oh. Dude, the holidays are just, it's an interesting time, man. Are there a big football day? Any Green Bay Packers fans here? Uh, you, this, this meeting is not for you. You got to go home. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's anything worse. The only thing worse than being an alcoholic is being an alcoholic and a Detroit Lions fan. It is like so, because it's like the same thing. Like the obsession, the idea that it's going to be different someday. <laughs> Just... Yeah, yeah, on this, don't get me started on the Seahawks. Brent over. Just... Brent, Brent and his son were over, and Brent's, you know, cheering for the Seahawks the whole time today. And so I gave Brent's son a ride over here and the whole time. I'm like, so what was your dad like when he was high? <laughs> Wasn't it shitty that he abandoned you? <laughs> you know what he said though, the kid's 16. You know what he said? It was really beautiful. He goes, uh, you know what? Um, my dad fucked up a lot but he got better and he tries his best. And I think that's all we want from people, you know? And uh, Brent left and I'm just hanging out with him before we come up here. And he's like, oh man, he's like, Yale won't stop sending me emails. <laughs> and I'm like, kid, we are nothing away. <laughs> like, Why does this kid want to hang out with me? And then I remembered like when I was a kid, like I always loved my dad friends that were the biggest loser <laughs> i always love the guy that would like give me 20 bucks to stop talking 
selfishness, self-centeredness, man. I, uh, any fantasy football players out there? Dude, so last week when that, like, tragic injury happens, right? The guy goes down. He's literally dead on the field, and everyone's freaking out. It's super sad, heart-wrenching moment. And as an alcoholic, I'm the guy on Twitter searching, what does this mean for fantasy? <laughs> I, uh, I just celebrated 10 years on the 11th of December. I so many people in here to thank Gary and Tim and a bunch of people. They, um, so my wife, uh, she threw a party for me and <laughs> I show up, we pull up to the restaurant. We were supposed to just be going to dinner before this meeting. And we pull up and Tim's just like walking in front of my car, like a Hitchcock movie. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing here? So he ruined the surprise, right? And I play it cool though, because I don't like, I try not to pout like that much in front of my wife, you know? And um, then the weekend after that, uh, I'm on the board at the Canyon Club and I get an email from Brent and they're like, uh, the general manager marks in the hospital. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And um, as I'm driving closer, he's like, we have to have an emergency meeting. And as I'm, I'm driving closer, he's like, looks like Mark's not going to make it. He's going to die. Like, you got to get here. We got to pick a new general manager. And I walk in and Mark's not dead. And there's like 70 people there for the real surprise party. <laughs> and uh, my alcoholism, I'm like, maybe there's a third surprise. <laughs> When's that party? <laughs> I, uh, dude, I used to stay up for like four days in a row. And now if I eat sour candy, I get ulcers in my mouth and I can't swallow for four days. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> I, uh, I went back to Michigan for the holidays and, um, it's, I love going to other states, going to meetings, because you can just steal all the best parts of people's shares from your town and take them to wherever you go, and people think you're really insightful. <laughs> they don't know what the druggy buggy is in Michigan. They don't call it that. So I, I refer to the treatment man as that, and they, their fucking minds were blown. <laughs> but, uh, man, being home is always, you know, if you've been sober for a little bit or not, I mean, going home is just, it's so bittersweet. And there is just this like underlying sadness still for the holidays because I still acutely remember the pain that I put people through. Um, and I, I, I try to make their lives better. And, um, a lot of things happen when I went home. Um, so, um, when I was seven, I lived in this town called Romeo, Michigan. It's where Kid Rock's from. Um, yeah, that's what you're dealing with. And um, I was just this little six-year-old, like, hillbilly, like, piece, right? You know, wore cowboy boots, like, and, and people that know me know that part of me still. If you've ever seen me eat, I have a raccoon's trash palette. Like, I'm just like, what, no nacho cheese on that? Like, it's bad. And so when I was seven, we moved uh, from Romeo to this like uptight conservative yachting town called Gross Point, Michigan. 
And um, the first day we moved there, I'm riding my bike and I meet this cool black kid. His name's Roniel. We become best friends and, and years go by. And um, they changed the, the zoning in our school system because they don't want the, the, the minority kids to go to the good schools. And so my family had this kid come live with us so we could keep going to, to the good public school. And he ends up getting a full ride to University of Michigan. And he goes on to do a lot of great things in politics and becomes a lawyer. And um, I got a call the day after Christmas that he had died from an overdose of cardiac arrest. And uh, man, it was just like, you know, and um, on the flip side of that, um, I get to see a guy that I've known since um, the fifth grade. And um, he used to just, uh, my introduction to him was him just beating the shit out of me <laughs> in school. I can't fight. I mean, like people have told me my whole life, and I'm sure a lot of you feel like that right now with the suspenders. Like I'm just very punchable looking. <laughs> I get it. And like, if you're in this meeting right now and you're like, I fucking hate this guy. Like the jokes aren't funny. You su like, I get that. Like, I hope you're enjoying how much you hate. Cause that can be one of the most fun things about AA, right? Is after being like, that guy was a fucking idiot. So I get it. Um, so yeah, that guy used to beat the shit out of me. And, um, but he'd also like kind of be my friend. Cause I think the reality of growing up is it's kind of like a, totem pole more right like there's kids above you that shit on you and then there's kids below you that you shit on and it's just hard right and I remember he stopped being my friend and we're in ninth grade and he goes I'll be your friend um if you let me come over and we can drink all the liquor in your parents liquor cabinet then you put on your football equipment and I beat the shit out of you <laughs> and I'm like this is a great deal <laughs> And so we do, we get in all sorts of trouble and blah, blah, blah. And fast forward, um, that guy has nine years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And we got to go to meetings while I was home. And we've made amends to each other. And we were just talking about some of the old stories that I just told you. And we come out of a meeting together. And he takes me aside last week and he goes, hey, man, I just want to let you know I was doing some inventory last night and I need to make more amends to you. And I was like, wow. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've been doing more inventory, too. Uh, <laughs> I also have some more. More <laughs> That's the gift, though. That really, really is the gift. And I'm going to jump all around in my story. So, you know, forgive me. Write central office a letter. I don't go into suggested order. Uh, <laughs> But the thing is, um, that's the gift. And I think a lot of times, you know, we worship the wrong things and I'm guilty of it too. Um, but I see a lot of people come in here and, you know, they get the job because they really need the job and then they work the job. And then all they do is work the job and go to some meetings and they're super wound tight and they're not really actually helping anybody. See, because the thing is, if you go back to like old AA when they were like super intense, it was tough, man. It was like, okay, there's two of us in this entire fellowship. We got to go find a third guy, right? The moment they found 
Bill Dotson and this fellowship became a fellowship, AA number three, right? Is Bob number two turns to Bill number one and says, hey man, we should probably go find a guy to help. So they go to the hospital and they find this guy and he had just beat up a couple of nurses. And I love that because I see so many guys come in here that have done a little bit of jail time. Dude, every white kid that you meet in treatment by the time they get to rehab is fucking El Chapo. <laughs> like, dude, you were selling Pokemon cards, not crack. <laughs> and I love the story of Bill Dawson beating up those nurses because it's like, dude, anybody's welcome here. We're all crazy. I'm still crazy insane and we'll talk about that but you know they go to bill and this fellowship starts to grow and like that is the gift and my point about that now is because there's a part in the book and i've been thinking a lot about it lately it basically says you know if your new person doesn't want this solution don't waste your time on them because someone else might want it and want to do the work but I think with technology now, like, it's really hard to waste my time. Like, it's, it's really hard. Like, I can send anybody a text. It takes four seconds. It does nothing to my day. So I say that because I text new people. I text new people that want to do the work. I text new people that don't want to do the work. I text high people. Because I just don't know. I do not know when that thing is going to click and someone is going to have the willingness to do this. And something that happened like six or seven years into my recovery is I started interpreting God's will as playing God. I would get these, these voices, right, that I really thought was God speaking to me. Do this. Tell this person that. And I got really passive aggressive. I was passionate about the program, but people would be like, I don't want to go to the meeting. I'd be like, well, then I'll visit you in detox. <laughs> right? And it feels good, right? <laughs> That's the truth. That's not, it feels good to hurt people. It's nice, right? Ooh, right? And what happened is about two years ago, I was sponsoring this kid. And he just hemmed and hawed the whole way and he drug his feet. And I was, I was just mean whenever he didn't want to do anything. And he got drunk on the 4th of July and I texted him and I was like, it's pretty funny that you, you chose the day we celebrate America's independence to become a slave to alcohol again. <laughs> just so pissy, right? Yeah. <laughs> And so he's like, fuck you. He gets in his car, he drives back to Michigan and he's drinking the whole way and he's calling me and I'm picking up. Cause I'm like, yeah, I want some more of this. <laughs> and he calls me and he's like, he's like, I just want you to know you've never done anything for me. And I'm like, well, guess what, idiot? You missed the whole point. Cause it's not about what I do for you. It's about what you do for us, right? Like, I'm so right, you know what I mean? And he's going off and I'm like, well, why don't you turn your car around and come fight me? <laughs> and I'm like, and I haven't been helping you because I have a one month old daughter. So I've been busy. And he's like, I don't give a fuck about your daughter. I'm like, oh, damn, man. <laughs> 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 
So I fly in two days before Christmas. And I wake up to a Facebook message from that guy making an amends to me. And once again, I'm like, oh, I actually have an amends to make to you. <laughs> but isn't that the deal, right? The guy with less time humbled himself enough so I could learn the lesson. It has nothing to do with time and everything to do with God. And he is a year and a half sober. And it didn't matter how many times God told me to be like, say this, do this, tell him to do this. If he doesn't want your way of life, he's wrong. I don't do any of that shit anymore. I don't care where you work. I don't care who you date. I don't care how many meetings you go to because you're either going to develop a relationship with the higher power or you are not. I can take you through the steps and hopefully that light clicks, but there are not any, you know, speeches that I can give you. And when I think about speaking, I mean, I think the best thing we can do is really motivate each other to either start working this program or keep working this program. I think speaking in essence is a form of like a mini spiritual experience because I've sat on that side of the room facing the speaker many times and been like, holy shit, I need to do that thing. That's a spiritual experience. It will not keep me sober. And Tim talks about this and it's my favorite part in the book, right? There's a difference between a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening. Spiritual experience is the catalyst, right? It's the thing. It's the aha. It's the moment of clarity. I'm like, oh my God, I did it. I can do this. It has an expiration date though. I've got a hundred sobriety dates, right? Catapulted by, you know, a white light or a message from someone or a family member that I wanted to be sober for. The spiritual awakening happened when I did the steps and realized that the only way I can stay sane enough to not have to take a drink is by helping you. And they talk about that in the big book. It's the best part of the book, in my opinion. Bill Wilson is about to make that decision. Is he going to go into the bar and drink and cheat on his wife? Or is he going to go into the phone booth and try to find another alcoholic to help? And my favorite three words in the book, he hasn't even made the call yet. And the three words are his sanity returned. Because think about it. How many times have you just thought about getting high and you're okay? Right? Same thing. The reason that I love like technology now is because it just makes it easier for us to spread this message. And I get really frustrated when people come up here, right? These old timers, these floundering fathers come up here <laughs> and they're like, I'm sure I'm glad we're back in person where the real message can be. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Sorry. That's not true. Wherever two are gathered, God is here. You don't get to decide how that happens. We don't have a monopoly on God. And I've met so many people through Zoom in like assisted living homes that could never or will never be able to come to a live meeting again. And I would be doing them in this program at this service if I said their recovery was lesser than mine because they couldn't be here. Hi, Zoom people. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, that guy's on his phone. <laughs> Never mind what I said about you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh my God, the Lions are winning. Okay, so this is the part. <laughs> no, listen. This is the part. So there's three minutes and 27 seconds left and we're up 20 to 16. And this is the part where like, you're going to do beer only. And you're like, dude, it's going to be so much different this time. And in about a minute and a half, Aaron Rodgers is going to have the ball again and drive the ball 80 yards and score a touchdown. That's the part where you have one too many beers one night. And you're like, I should do a little coke. He <laughs> was just intercepted. Yeah, yeah, there's so much time, Tom. Just wait, okay? I get it. You're a Seahawks fan. You only know a little bit of suffering. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But we could get to the goal line, and instead of getting the ball to Marshawn Lynch, we could try to throw it. <laughs> no, stay. Uh, On my um, on the day after my or no, on the day of my sobriety birthday this year, which is 12, 11, 12, by the way, my dad, when I got sober, when I got a year, he goes, why couldn't you have just waited another day and had a cool sobriety? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so when I was like four years sober, uh, I was in a relationship with this girl. I cheated with her on this girl at work and man, anybody, I know a lot of you have, but you know, those moments where you're like sober and you just can't or are unwilling to stop living in a defective character. And like that imperious urge for whatever it is, is just killing you inside. And you're trying to do all the stuff they say to do, but like, deep down the behavior you're engaging in is really what you want to do. And that's why you're still doing it. Um, so I was like going through that. I mean, to the point where I'm like trying not to cheat on my girlfriend at the time, I'm like taking out the big book and like reading the seven step prayer at work. Like I'm doing everything. I'm like, uh, you know, throwing myself harder into others, probably not in the right way. <laughs> I, um, I get caught and the whole thing blows up. And the thing about consequences is they don't tell you how far reaching they're going to be. You can never guess how much of your life it's going to affect when you, you know, commit another self-imposed crisis. And, you know, I, I lost her. I lost my job. I lost the place I was living. I mean, it was bad. Right. And um, I remember just literally crying to God, like, please, I, you know, I'm in so much fucking fail, do I? You know what I mean? Like, just that real, like, visceral, like, help me, help me, help me. And, um, I, and that's when I found the Canyon Club because I was in Costa Mesa and I did what any good AA in trouble does. I just go down the street a little bit to other meetings. <laughs> and um, I, uh, she ends up leaving me for a guy that I was sponsoring at the time. And uh, he died on my sobriety birthday of an overdose. And um, last year, two guys 
um, that used to bully me really bad. One of them actually used to molest me when I was a kid. Uh, he, he, he died of an overdose. The other guy died of an overdose. Uh, and it's crazy. And the lesson is that if you stay sober long enough, all of your enemies will die. <laughs> No, the lesson is that every, everybody doesn't get to be afforded this opportunity. But here is the cool part about that. Two out of those three guys I was able to make amends to. And that third guy that molested me, I was able to forgive through, you know, the work that we do here after he passed. Um, and that's a really cool experience to be able to truly be placed in a position of neutrality with someone that you felt like just pushed the trajectory of your life into a place that you never imagined and didn't want, you know? And uh, so when I went home and I saw that kid that I used to sponsor that has a year and a half now that told me he didn't give a fuck about my daughter, I had some people over at the house we were renting and uh, he came over and my daughter would not leave him alone. <laughs> and he's like, I've never held a baby. <laughs> she loved him. She loved, and that meant so much to me. And you could tell how bad he felt, right? You know, when we say something drunk and we're sober and it's like, dude, every two minutes, I'm sorry. And I just, I forgive him, you know? I'm just glad he's okay. And, uh, you know, I mentioned my dad earlier who wished I had a cooler sobriety date. And, uh, you know, he, like Brent's son said, you know, he did some fucked up stuff as a kid, but he tried his best. And I was always a kid, like, I, he never taught me how to do anything. I just always held the light for him and he screamed at me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, <laughs> While I was home, I was driving with him in my mom's car and I got a flat tire and I jumped out and I fixed the tire. And I knew how to do that because when I had five years sober, I was picking up uh, Tim um, from the airport and my car at the time got a flat and we got out and he taught me, he showed me how to change a tire. And he was nice to me about it. And it was really cool. And so I got to do that. And I, I, you know, I take the spare off, I put the new tire on and my dad's like, wow, I'm like really proud of you. And I'm like, shut the fuck up and hold the light steady. <laughs> what time do you guys want to leave at? <laughs> 830 is good, okay. Uh, I like doing this stuff. It's fun. And I like participating in AA. And uh, I will, if you ever get the chance to speak, just like a couple of like little tips for you. One, please, at the end of your share, when you have five minutes left, can you not tell us how you worked all 12 steps? <laughs> like we don't need that. And the other thing is when you tell us about how much your life has changed, you didn't do a 360, you did a 180. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. Some of us did a 360. <laughs> Some of us did a 360. Yeah. yeah.
Um, I want to I want to thank you again, Rachel. I uh, man, I got to uh, actually her her boyfriend who I used to live with. He invited me this morning to uh, play golf at the country club he's a member of. And for any golfers, like whenever you get to go play at like a nice club, like dude, the week leading up to that is like oh, you're just so excited. I went and hit balls a couple of days ago. I'm like, great. My putting is good. I get there. I just play like absolute shit, right? <laughs> and he's like, you're not very good. <laughs> but uh, I started going to Rachel's gym, man, almost like a year ago now. And um I, we make a trade. It's an unfair trade. She brings all these like nice, good looking young girls to AA and I bring like all these fat, overweight men to her gym. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, talking about what happened to me when I was a kid. I mean, I, I think you know, being abused like that, will just create a lot of fear. Like you just start having this sense that like something bad is always around the corner. And like, that can still be with me now and manifest itself in different ways. And so I started acting out in various ways when I was a kid, you know, from a young age, four or five years old, just a bad mischievous little kid. And, um, some friends, parents of mine reminded me when I was home, they're like, do you remember when you were five and uh, you called our house and you got the answering machine and you said, uh, penis, vagina, penis, 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 <laughs> vagina, penis, this isn't Topher, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> just that kind of stuff. Just like, oh, I'm going to pee in the space heater to see what happens, you know, like. And it's what we talk about in here, like, a lot of people want to think that alcoholism is just about the drinking, right? And if that's true, then why have six of the kids that I grew up with and was best friends with long before we took a drink or did a drug dead from this thing? <clears throat> like, what drew us together? I think it was the ism honestly and i think it's the same thing that draws us together after we're sober i mean sure like alcoholics anonymous can be a super uncomfortable place until you're ready for it not to be but when you finally realize that everyone in here is a sicko and a pervert like <laughs> you're good like really you're good like, do you remember, like, finally just telling your first, like, really inappropriate joke, like, in the smoking section, and then someone topping it, and then topping it, and, right? Like, that's what we, like, one of my best friends in the world is Mary. Love Mary. Would have never guessed that Mary would have been my best friend. She officiated my wedding. Like, just beautiful stuff. And about a year ago, she comes to my house, and she comes in, and she goes, oh, I'm, uh, I'm having a super, uh, I'm having a super heavy day. And uh, she's like, uh, my aunt Janice died. And I'm like, I know her. She's like, no, you don't. And long story short, I did because I had a connection to one of Mary's family members that we didn't know about because of sobriety. And it's like, that's the stuff that happens here. Like those are the gifts and it's unbelievable. And people talk a lot about it in the stories that the real gift here is the relationships that they've made in this program. And so to be here tonight, I have friends in here tonight that are in the program and 
not in the program. Like that's a pretty cool thing. I don't know why you're here. Uh, <laughs> I feel bad worse for Cassidy because he's already got you as a dad, David. <laughs> I heard this a lot back in Michigan, people talking about, have you heard this where they go, uh, you do step one out there. Everybody just does step one out there. Or maybe you believe that, like this idea that like alcohol beats you into the state of reasonableness, right? To do the rest of the work, but like you're only doing half of the first step. I'm powerless over alcohol and my life is unmanageable. I don't get sober and then my life's suddenly manageable. The worst thing that I hear newcomers say when you try to give a suggestion is they go, listen, at the end of the day, I know what's best for me. <laughs> I still don't. And that doesn't mean that I'm like constantly like seeking counsel all the time now. Like I'm not like, I'm about to take a breath. Can I breathe? Right? A lot of people have this misconstrued like, Please forgive me for saying this, but I think a lot of people in here don't need a sponsor. Uh, they need like a dominatrix. Because <laughs> the way you approach this is creepy. You're like, Daddy, may I get the job? I want to go on a date with girl, master. She doesn't have ear, is okay, please? Shut up, slave. Ashtrays don't talk. <laughs> I have an ever-growing God consciousness. And it doesn't mean I'm always going to be right. Right? I'm going to do a lot of dumb stuff. And once I realize that, this program becomes the most freeing experience you could ever have. And that's the thing, I see a lot of newcomers come in here and I was one of them, I have a book under my shoulder and I'm like, I can quote this page and I can say this and I call my sponsor at this time and I go to this meeting and I have this commitment and I was wound so fucking tight, right? And I see people, new guys that come in and they're like, I don't even swear anymore. <laughs> Good for you, creep. <laughs> And then what happens one day is they lose the job or she leaves or they get in a fight with somebody at work and they just freaking pop because they had no real God. And the truth is I've done that. And the reason I was doing well is because it was going well. I believe in God heavily heavily when I'm getting my way. Oh my God, thank you so much, Cash God. <laughs> thank you. I earned that, didn't I? <laughs> Start saying thank you to God when it doesn't go your way. That's what I've been doing lately. I'm golfing like shit today and I'm like, thank you God. <laughs> 
is a good chicken sandwich I got at the turn. <laughs> what do I got, Shelly? One minute? 10 seconds? <laughs> All right, well, I'll end with this. Uh, the Detroit Lions just won 20 to 16. <laughs> it is different this time. I'm glad this meeting starts at uh, 7 o'clock now because it means I have uh, time to go home and try to get my wife pregnant with our second child. Thank you so much. Yeah! <laughs>